for it this morning. Thank you for what this season, this day represents for us. God, as we look to your word in just a few moments, we pray again, as always, that we submit ourselves under it, that what you have written for us might impact our hearts, that it might encourage us, that it might challenge us with how we live, with how we think about you, who you are, and what our relationship to you looks like. God, what a privilege it is to be able to gather together people from all over the world under the Lordship of Christ. And so, God, we exalt you this morning. We give you praise. You are worthy of all glory and honor. And so even as we have sung praises to you, in a few moments we will give of our tithes and our offerings uh, again because you are worthy of it. And then we will challenge our own hearts with the word of God that we might grow in our faith, in our knowledge of you, and that we might become more like Christ. God, we do want to pray for those this morning who are unable to be here, those who are not well, those who are at home sick, those who are on the roads traveling to be with family for this time of year. Wherever each one is, whatever the need is that they have this morning, we ask that you would meet that need. We ask that you would show them your love and your mercy, your grace. That even if they're isolated this morning, that they would feel your presence. That they would know that they are part of this church family and that they would feel that encouragement. God, we pray for our world. There is so much that is so difficult for us to understand, so much going on that we can't even begin to comprehend. But we know that you are on the throne, that you are in control, that you have plans and purpose for everything that's happening, no matter how awful it may seem to us initially, we know that you are at work. So we trust you with that. God, as we give of our tithes and our offerings to you this morning, again, we give to you because you are worthy. We give because we believe that the church, not just this church, but the church matters. And that it has a, mi a mission, a purpose to reach to our community the good news of Jesus. And so we pray that with our tithes and our offerings that we might be good stewards of what we are given. That we might use it for your kingdom's growth. That people would be challenged with who you are. We pray for people to come to you and that they would surrender their hearts and lives to you. Because you alone are worthy. And you alone bring satisfaction. God, again, as we head from this place this morning off to our homes to be with family, to the various Christmas traditions that we have, may all of those traditions remain centered around the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to this earth, that he willingly went to the cross, that he died, that we might live, that our sins would be forgiven, 
that we would have victory over the power of sin and death and that one day we could be with you for all of eternity. Keep these things in our hearts and in our minds now this morning. We love you. Amen. All right, kids, you can run off to Sunday school and the rest of you, you can turn. Well, we're going to hit a few different passages, but you can turn to 1 John this morning and we'll get there in just a minute. If you, uh, if you saw or if you heard from Caleb's reading this morning from Romans chapter 5, the Advent theme for this last Advent Sunday morning is love. Now, love is one of the very central characteristics of God. And I hope this morning that what we're going to see is that love ought to be a huge point of emphasis in the life of the believer as well. But what we're going to look at this morning is I want to challenge us with our understanding of really what love is. Because our culture right now would teach and have us believe that what love is is just unlimited tolerance. But that's not what love is. Love is recognizing who God is, what he has called us to, and understanding that there may be consequence, there may be discipline. But it comes from a loving father who has what's best for us. And that for him to just allow us to go off and live our lives however we want would not be loving, but would be devastating. But perhaps even more, what I want to challenge us with, and it comes from 1 John here in a moment, is our understanding of God's love towards us and how that relates to our love back towards God. If you've been part of our church for some of 2023, we spent most of the year journeying through the book of Exodus together. And and what we saw in that is that God in his, what the scriptures would refer to as his steadfast love, continued to lead and direct and guide the people. And he called them into covenant with him saying, if you, (coughs) excuse me, if you obey this covenant, it will go well with you and you will have blessing. And there will be positive and good consequence for your behavior. But if you choose your own way, if you choose to follow your own desires and your own wants and worship other gods and all these kinds of things, that there would be consequence. And what we saw is there was lots of consequence, but the thing that remained was that God never stopped loving them. God never just gave up on them and said, fine, you can do it your own way. Now, he did at various points say, I'll let you reap the consequences of your own desires. But he would constantly come back in and remind them of his steadfast love, bring them back into covenant. And actually, we're going to see tonight, if you come for the evening service, for the candlelight service, we're going to see that the whole of the Old Testament is that story. People saying, yes, we'll follow you, God, until a new idea came along. Until a new desire came to their own heart and and they would turn away from God. And God, through the prophets, would use those prophets to bring people back to God that they would repent and that they would see that it's only in God's goodness that they would have salvation. And ultimately, that's what we celebrate this Christmas, is the coming of Jesus brings salvation for the world. So when you think of God's love, what verse maybe comes to mind through scripture. 
The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We could call that the gospel in a nutshell, one verse to show us what's true of God. Or perhaps as Caleb read, we might think, but God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's so many different verses in the Bible that speak of God's love. In fact, there are over 300 times in the Bible we read about God's love. But this passage that we're going to read this morning, this is the one that stuck out to me as I was thinking, what should I preach on this year? What aspect of God's love should I focus on? What passage? This is 1 John chapter 4. And not only does it talk about God's love for us, but it's going to point out a very important truth about God's love for us. And I think it's something that the Christian needs to understand if we're ever going to have a true and understand, a proper understanding of God's love for us so that we might live in freedom. So let's read these verses together. It's a big chunk, but let's read this. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now John takes a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of different ways to say essentially a few of the very same points. But let's begin at the beginning of this passage, and we're just going to highlight just a few things. There's so much more we could talk about. But John tells us that if we are followers of Christ... We are called to love one another because love itself comes from God. So there's a question that we need to ask to clarify here. 
Does this mean that anyone who shows any kind of love for anyone is now born of God? If we read it without looking at the immediate context, it might seem that way, and we might come to the conclusion that, well, that's a very characteristic because I'm choosing to love my spouse or my child or, or someone close to me, that that means that God is in me. But that's not what these verses are saying. Uh, commentator Robert Yarbrough writes this. He says, love is presented here as a consequence of, not a precondition for being born of God. Unbelievers can love others to some degree, but not in the way that God's indwelling presence enables Christians to love. So in other words, part of us being created in the image of God means that we can have love in us. But apart from having Christ in us, are we ever going to love the way that God has called us to? And the answer is simply no. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount would say this, but I say to you, love your who? Enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. I don't know how many of you make a constant practice of this who sit down every day and pray, God, for those people who hate me and who ridicule me and who insult me, help me to have further and deeper love for them that I would pray for them and their salvation. Or do we usually pray, God, would you just shut them up? I think that's usually what we pray. Or something in that vein. God, help them to get what's coming to them because I'm tired of it. It's a lot of vindication in there, a lot of vengeance. But the problem is God said something to us about vengeance once, and what was that? Vengeance is mine. It is God's to repay, not ours. And in fact, I think we misunderstand the whole concept of God's love if we ever pray, God, give to them what's coming to them. Because somehow we think that what's coming to us, we deserve so much better. What John's point is here in the whole kind of book of 1 John is understanding that love by very definition comes from God, not because we are worthy of love. In fact, it's, the reality is we're unworthy of God's love. We don't deserve it. We don't. He doesn't owe us his forgiveness and his kindness, but he loves us because he has chosen us. This is a huge thing that I think we in Christianity, those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, we need to grasp this concept. It is not because I'm lovely that God loves me. It's not because I'm worthy that God loves me. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say that everything that we can offer God is what? It's like filthy rags. There's nothing that I can give him that, that makes him love me because I'm worthy of it. And that's what John says in verse, uh, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. I, I think many Christians intellectually understand this, but from a practical standpoint, really struggle with embracing this. We know that, again, intellectually we know I don't deserve <coughs> excuse me, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve God's mercy, his grace, his love. He's given it to me as a free gift. 
But then so often we live in such a way where we try to prove that our works deserve for that love to be continued to be giving to us. Or we think that when I do something awful that I'm deserving of God's punishment and his condemnation and his wrath, and so his, his love leaves. But just as we discussed a few weeks back, his, God's justice and his love he holds together at all times. And so yes, there's consequences for when I disobey. But that doesn't mean that he turns around and says, I don't love you, Greg, in this moment. See, the truth of the gospel is, is this. Or Martin Luther said it this way. I thought this was very helpful. He says, God doesn't love us because of our worth. We are of worth because God loves us. Let me say that again. God doesn't love us because of our worth. We are of worth because God loves us. And so how I live and, and what I do shouldn't be with this sense of I've got to prove to God that I'm still worthy of his love. I've got to do enough good stuff that, that he sees that I'm growing and I'm maturing and, and, then, and then his blessings will come to me more. And, and that's not a biblical concept, but I think that's a practical concept that we find ourselves believing. So what would happen practically in our lives? What would happen if we really grasped that the creator of all things looked down on you and went, I choose to offer you love, mercy, and grace? I think what our response would be is not that we would love God out of obligation or duty, but out of a deep, heartfelt gratitude and awareness that we deserve nothing and yet have been given everything. How would that change how we live? Well, I think that would change how we interact with our fellow man, or with our neighbors, with our friends, with our enemies, because we would see all of us in the same light, undeserving of God's love, and yet made worthy because of Jesus. And so any person that I interact with, I deserve just as much or just as little, depending on how you want to think of that as they do. And even if maybe they're oppositional against God and maybe they're insulting God and maybe they're condemning people who follow God, does that mean that God loves them any less? No, God loves us all. We already read it. But John 3.16 said what? For God so loved who? Just some of us? Just those who would believe? Who does God love? Everyone. The entire world. And he gave Jesus to the world and Jesus willingly went to the cross so that all might have the opportunity to be forgiven of their sin. His atonement paid the penalty for all. Now the question is, will we accept it? This is why in the New Testament when you see the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and, and they are kind of teaching a certain way that Jesus rebukes them so harshly. Because they don't understand God's love. They only understand obligation. If I do enough good, then God will look at me favorably. And that's what they were teaching people. And so Jesus rebuked them harshly because that is not true. That is not what the scriptures ever said or taught us. Yes, there are consequences for wrong behavior, but that doesn't mean that God's love is any less for us. 
As I said, I think if we understood this love, how we interacted with others would change. And I think this is why Jesus said this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I'm convinced, and, and I've, I've seen this, and I've met with a few people who are brand new to faith over the last few weeks, is that they walked into this place, and they told me that they stayed because they saw something different about how people lived here, that they loved each other. That should be the core identifying mark of the Christian, is that when a non-Christian walks in, that they look at us and they go, man, they might be weird. They sing a lot of odd songs. But man, they love each other. Man, they care for each other. They're there for each other when hurting. They're there for each other when going through difficulty or crisis or sickness or, or in joy and celebration as well. That should be the identifying marker of us. So how does thinking about that kind of love impact us? Well, King David in Psalm 8 reflected on this and he says this what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you should care for him you ever found yourself saying that maybe not those words do you ever found yourself sitting there going god why would you love me i'm not worthy of it i'm unlovable i'm so selfish i'm so weak i'm so whatever See, I think a, a healthy reflection of that is good because what that reminds us of is the truth of the gospel. Oh, yeah, God loves me not because I'm worthy, but because he chose to love me and made me worthy. So it's not because of me, it's because of him. And that's the very message of the gospel. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And so when we think about that, we don't have to perform. We don't have to prove that we're worthy of love. We don't have to live in some kind of a way to, to see, will God forgive and accept me? We know that he has. Well, how? Well, the scripture says, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. It means that all we have to do to become children of God, is confess that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, let me clarify this because what I'm not saying is that intellectually we just have to say these words or that there's a phrase we have to say and then we're good. Confession by very definition means that we are confessing a truth that we believe. Perhaps you could think of it the way that the uh, Apostle Paul says it in scriptures in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God loves us so much that he said, all you need to do, you don't have to perform, you don't have to do enough good things to, to earn my love. I'm giving it to you. All you need to do is confess that. All you need to do is believe that Jesus is who he claimed he was. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering, am I, do I have God? Is God in me this way that scripture talks about, that I'm with him and that he's with me and that we abide together? Well, you don't have to wonder. You just have to ask yourself this question. Have I confessed that Jesus is Lord? Because if we confess that Jesus is Lord, that that means we're choosing to say you will be first in my life. You will be most. 
Everything else will come under you. How I live, how I talk, what I do at work, and how I treat my spouse, and how I interact with my children. All of it will be under the implication of that God loves me unconditionally and I will love others unconditionally. John says that we will have the Holy Spirit and this question I get a lot of times is, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? How do I know that He is at work within me? Well, it says it very plainly. If we confess then he is at work within us and he has given us his spirit. Do you notice what tense that is? It doesn't say he will give. He has given. So if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, the spirit is within you. And that means that God is going to lead you into further righteousness, not because of your ability to do something right, but because we have put Jesus as Lord of our life and we start to understand that out of God's love for us, I'm going to just respond. I'm just going to live in that freedom. And so those people that treat me poorly, well, it doesn't matter because it's about God, and so I'm going to show them his love. Those that want to turn against me, those that want bad for me, I, I'm not going to wish ill for them because what I see is the most important thing is that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ so that we might be able to go to eternity together. See, I think how we, how we think about God's love shows us whether we understand the gospel or whether we don't. There's some practical things that come out of this too, though. And verse 18 gives us one of those things. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Anyone afraid of anything ever? Okay, let's clarify this. Because I think this is one of the most misused verses in Scripture to try and say something that the text doesn't indicate or doesn't intend to say. So here's an example. You're in your home and uh, you see a spider on the ceiling. And you feel scared for a moment. You shouldn't go, God, perfect love casts out fear. I don't need to fear the spider. Or you shouldn't be told by somebody, you wouldn't fear the spider if you love Jesus. And that's often what this verse is, is used to say, but that's not what it's talking about. What is it talking about? The context is right there for us. You don't need to fear what? Eternal punishment. You don't need to fear that, am I forgiven? Will I be able to go be with Jesus for eternity? Or will I be having to go to hell for my actions, for my unbelief, for my disobedience. You see, I think that, and I've seen this as a pastor, kind of as people are nearing that kind of the end of their lives, wrestling with, am I forgiven? Have I done enough good? Will I go to heaven? Will I not? And there's so much anxiety that comes with that and so much fear. But the Christian can look at this and say, I don't have to fear. In fact, what is death? It's a promotion. That's what the Apostle Paul says. To live is Christ and to die is it's gain. It's, it's, it's better. We talked lots about this in our previous Bible studies this past week. 
But I think what the problem is is that we don't see enough of the beauty of Christ and we think the world is more awesome than it is. And so we go, we were talking about Jesus' second coming and, and thinking of it like, Jesus, come back. We long for your appearing, but not until I fill in the blank. Not until I get to accomplish that career goal that I have in front of me. Not until I get to get married. Not until my first child. Not until, and we put limits on those things when all of that is competing with God's love, and actually it's becoming idolatry. God, I love you, but I love the world a lot. And so you can come, but not yet. But Paul realized, and he, and he, in Philippians, he wrestled with this, is, is I would rather go be with Jesus, but he says it's better for you that I'm here now. Because God has purpose in me for, for teaching and equipping and edifying you, but I would rather be with Jesus Friends, let me ask you this question. Would you rather be with Jesus? And this will hurt my feelings a little bit, but would you rather be with Jesus than be here with us this morning? I hope your answer is yes. Would you rather be with Jesus? Or would you rather be here on the earth? Now that doesn't mean that we, as the, as the old song goes, we're so heavenly minded we become of no earthly good. In fact, what it does is it reminds us that as long as I have breath in my lungs and God has placed me here, I have purpose and I have mission, and that is to declare God's love to the world. Why? Oh, because he first loved me. Because I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it, and yet he's given it to me. See, I think when we think about this kind of love, when we think about God's love for us, all these Advent themes that we've, talking, that we've talked about in the last number of weeks are ours. If we understand we have Christ's love, then we have hope. Not just for eternity, but for now as well. Because there's mission. There's purpose. We have peace, not just for eternity with God, but also here and now we have joy, not just for eternity, but also for here and now. All these uh, Advent themes are ours only because God loves us, not that we loved him. You're probably thinking to yourself, okay, Greg, we get it, move on. But the truth is that I don't get it yet. Every relationship that we have in this earth is a very much what have you done for me lately. And that's what we think of. And so even though we know that God is love and he's loved us and he has lavished his, his steadfast love on us, even when we didn't deserve it, we get sucked into the mindset of, but I got to perform. I got to show him that, that I deserve it or I'm worth it. And we need to step out of that and really understand that he un conditionally loves me, that there is nothing that I could do when I walk out of this place that would make him love me any less. That is great news. But the reverse is true as well. There's nothing I could do to walk out here that would make me God love, that would make God love me any more either. That's a beautiful truth. That frees us up. That frees us from all the expectations of others or, or even of ourselves, and we go, God, I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to live in your freedom. 
And so John gives us kind of the natural implication of that, a warning. Where he says, if anyone says I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. That's pretty aggressive language. But what is he saying? If you understand Christ's love for you, you can't hate others. Because they were in the same spot as you. They are in the same spot as you. You cannot hate others and love God. Those are mutually exclusive. And so if you find yourself hating someone, the truth is that you're believing a lie about the love that God has for you. We're misunderstanding the gospel of Jesus. And so that means we need to repent of that and turn back and say, God, help me understand love the way that Scripture teaches it, not the way that the world teaches it. And see, I think our culture is in desperate need of that right now because what culture says is if you disagree with me, you hate me. And that's just not true. Most of you don't cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I'm just kidding. That has nothing to do with it. We can disagree about much more important things than our sports teams and still love each other. We can disagree on really important things and still love each other. And if we as Christians can show the world in need of what love actually is, then they'll start to learn and see that even though he disagrees with me, he loves me. Even though she disagrees with this thing that I've done, I know that she loves me. If we can live in that way, I am convinced that the world will look at this and go, how can you love people like that? And we can say, not because I first loved God, but because he first loved us. Because of his love for me, I can offer that love to everyone else. To anyone else. And so as we go from here hopefully to your family traditions, to your Christmas things, to the, to the plans that, that you have in place for you. Don't forget, don't lose sight of the fact that everything that we have is only because of God's love. Don't let the materialism of this world somehow compete with your affections for Jesus and remind yourself that right before you open the presents under the tree as a family, that it would actually be better for me to go be with Jesus right now than open those first. Because that's the truth. My hope for us is in this Advent season, I've said this before, we look back to what has happened so that we can look back to, or so we can look ahead to what God is going to do. What we know from Scripture is that Jesus is coming again. May we long for that. Not because we love, but because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, we confess that we live in a world and in a time where the idea of love is a very twisted meaning. And the world so often thinks and teaches that you only love people when you fully accept everything and you don't correct and you don't disagree and you don't have difference of opinion. But that's not love. And so God, I pray that we would really understand that you have loved us not because we are worthy, but we are of worth because you have loved us. 
Help us to see that and to understand that. Help us to live in that freedom that that we don't live out of obligation or duty, but out of a deep gratefulness of heart because we recognize that we are not worthy. And yet we've been given such a wonderful gift, the greatest gift that is ever given. And so, God, I pray that as we leave this place, that as we go to whatever it is that's in front of us, that we would love others the way that you have loved us. God, even as we think of gathering together with family, family is great, but it always brings a little bit of difficulty. There's always some disagreements here and there. But God, I pray that we would love our family in a way that we have never loved them before. Not because we are capable of that on our own, but because you have given us your spirit so that we might love others. May we love our community and our coworkers and our housemates, everybody that we interact with so that they would look at us and they would say, why do you love me like this? So that we can point them to the author of love and the author of life. God, thank you that you loved us when we were unlovable. Thank you that you have made us of worth because of your love. Help us to love one another this week. Amen.